Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. The Duterte administration's stance toward China has been confusing, sometimes contradictory. At the United Nations General Assembly this September, Business World reported that, quote, President Rodrigo R. Duterte gave his most forceful defense of a 2016 United Nations ruling favoring the Philippines in a sea dispute with China, in a move that could signal the end of friendly ties with its neighbor. Here's President Duterte. The award is now part of international law, beyond compromise and beyond the reach of passing governments to dilute, diminish, or abandon. We firmly reject attempts to undermine it. And then, this October, in one of his weekly COVID-19 addresses, Mr. Duterte reiterated that the Philippines wants to strike a government-to-government deal with China for COVID-19 vaccines. The Chinese uh, government and the people are really parlaying the vaccine. You need not look for partners. We can make it government-to-government and uh, I I will pay you. So, according to Duterte, no to China when it comes to the South China Sea, but yes to China when it comes to vaccines. This is an example of Duterte's dual-track approach to foreign policy. Duterte thinks he can separate the dispute in the South China Sea from other issues like trade, investment, and official development assistance. The term dual-track approach was coined by international studies professor Renato Cruz de Castro, a trustee and convener of the National Security and East Asian Affairs Program of the Stratbase ADR Institute. In this episode, Mr. De Castro tells Business World reporter Jillian Cortez why this compartmentalizing strategy won't work with China. Since the president took office in 2016, what are some of the notable foreign relations developments or happenings during his term? What he did is basically, of course, is unravel the legacy of President Aquino, his predecessor. Predecessor was, of course, hell-bent on challenging China's maritime expansion, which of course involved the following. Number one, he shifted the attention of the armed forces away from internal security to territorial defense. It's more of a symbolic because we simply could not develop the military capability to stand up against China. Then he strengthened our alliance with the United States. He tried to seek clarity in terms of U.S. defense commitment to the Philippines. Then, of course, uh, something very important was we signed the 2014 Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement with the United States that could have provided temporary access to American forces in five Philippine Air Force bases. Then, of course, something that we won, something that we gained in 2016, we filed a claim against China in the permanent court of arbitration. And it took about three years. Then, of course, President Aquino was already out of office when the ruling came out. We won the case. The uh, arbitral tribunal ruled that China's nine-dash line claim has simply no legal basis. President Aquino also strengthened our security partnerships with Japan, Australia, and, of course, South Korea. Those, of course... The very essence of President Aquino's foreign policy of challenging China was, of course, unraveled by his successor, President Duterte, who adopted what I call a policy of appeasement. We extended concessions to China. We uh, delayed the implementation of the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement with the United States. 
he distanced the Philippines from the United States and pushed the Philippines towards uh, the waiting arms of China. Whether we benefited from that or not is, of course, another matter, which we can discuss later. One of the big news earlier this year is regarding the cancellation of Senator Ronald De La Rosa's U.S. visa, which has led to the tirades of the president against the U.S. And he threatened to end the visiting forces agreement. You mentioned that there are now strengthened ties between the Philippines and United States. But have these statements against the U.S. by President Duterte strained even a little the relationship of the U.S. and Philippines? Will affect us because historically the bedrock of Philippine foreign and defense policies, of course, are alliance with the United States. At the onset of his term, President Duterte said, I want to distance the Philippines away from the United States. I want to abrogate the mutual defense treaty because in the end, the United States would not provide us military support or assistance if push comes to shove in the South China Sea. President Duterte declared his extreme skepticism about uh, U.S. security guarantee. So according to him, the only solution we have is to jump into the Chinese bandwagon, try to appease China so that we could get some economic goodies from China. So this is basically the bedrock of his foreign policy. Whether he succeeded or not, of course, is another matter. Because uh, this might be, this could have been his intention at the onset of his term, but of course, he was opposed by the military and to a certain degree, the Department of Foreign Affairs. You know, that created a gap between what President Duterte wanted in 2016 and what we eventually ended up with in 2020. If President Duterte had it this way, we would have gravitated towards China and uh, severing our ties with the United States. But he has, of course, other concerns. He had to listen to his cabinet members who cautioned him about going into the warm embrace of China, which is, of course, very dangerous for us. We're too close to China. Your neighbors are not usually your best friend. And, of course, we have a territorial dispute with China. Plus, China, right at this point in time, is an expansionist power. Ever since its economy became the second largest in the world, this created a sense of breeze in China. The time is right for China to reclaim its traditional role in Asia, and that's being the central power, the dominant power in the region. Recently, during the United Nations General Assembly, President Duterte's appearance was not the only thing that shocked many, but also him invoking our arbitral win on the West Philippine Sea. But prior to this, what is your observation on President Duterte regarding our long-time tension with China over the West Philippine Sea? He really emphasized that China is the most important country for the Philippines. He announced to the Filipino people that we should trust China, despite the fact that majority of our people do not trust China. Based on the surveys by the social weather stations and Pulse Asia, China is the least trusted country. So President Duterte went against the will of the majority of the Filipinos who think that China is a challenge. China's a threat. He really made it a point asking Filipinos to trust China in the long term because according to him, in the long run, China will be proven to be a fair and just nation. So this created a disconnect, a gap between his foreign policy and, of course, the sentiment of the majority of the Filipinos. On the other hand, of course, he tried to distance the Philippines away from the United States. But again, the majority of the Filipinos trust the United States based on the PEW survey, the Social Weather Station survey, even Pulse Asia survey. The United States is the most trusted country 
if you have to look at this foreign policy in the last four years, always mentioning China, even in the midst of the pandemic. So for him, China could never do anything wrong. I just want to mention a statement of the palace during a past briefing of spokesperson Harry Roque. So Roque said this after the speech of the president when he was standing up for our sovereignty in the United Nations GA. Roque said that a resolution to the dispute won't happen in our lifetime. What does this show? This seemingly contradictory statements. This is approach of the Duterte administration. You separate the dispute from other issues, trade, investment, official development assistance. You can isolate the dispute and try to strengthen. I call this the dual track approach. We might play that game, but China doesn't play that game. China only uses it in terms of rhetoric. But when push comes to shove, when China thinks that its territorial integrity is already being undermined, China will throw everything off the table. You're saying, sir, that China is not concerned with its economic ties with the Philippines. China's concern about the Philippines is to pacify us, to prevent us from creating problems in the West Philippine Sea, and to separate us from our strategic ally, the United States, and other security partners like Japan and Australia, to isolate us. So let's not fool ourselves. China has a goal. That's maritime expansion. If we happen to be on its path, China would literally run over us. This was captured by the statement of the Chinese state councillor in 2010 in Hanoi when he got angry at the speech of uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton. China is big, you are small, and that's reality you have to face. China is a big power. You're just small power. This is something we always have to take into account. China is a traditional big power. It will act like any big power. It will never deal with us on an equitable manner. Sir, let's discuss about the intentions of China to defend their claim to the South China Sea. What is the main reason for their aggressiveness to protect this? It's strategic. It's part of their dynamics with the United States. They want to push the United States out of the first island chain. So you imagine the map. You have Japan, Taiwan, the Philippines. We constitute what China would call the first island chain. In the middle, of course, you have East and South China Sea. And outside, you have the Pacific. China wants to control the first island chain. It so happened at this point in time, you have the United States Seventh Fleet operating. You have American bases in Japan. You have American bases in Okinawa. You have, of course, American bases in South Korea. The Philippines is still a strategic ally of the United States, although we don't have American bases here. The goal of China is, of course, to push U.S. strategic power in the region and, in a way, prevent the United States from exercising its strategic prerogative since the United States became a power here when the Philippines became a colony of the United States. The term used is strategic offshore balancer. U.S. Navy operates in the waters of the first island chain. Are we supposed to look out for any threat to security right now regarding the South China Sea, especially after the President's United Nations address? The greatest threat is the possibility of the U.S.-China strategic confrontation becoming an armed conflict. It could start in the uh, Senkaku between Japan and, of course, China. It could start in the South China Sea. It could start probably in the Taiwan Straits. Actually, this happened last February 17, when a Chinese corvette pointed its gun control system against the Philippine frigate, the BRP Conrad Yap. What if our sailors reacted and you have a misunderstanding and exchange of fire? 
let's say the Philippine BRPA Conrado Yap was damaged. Then out of anger, out of panic, knee-jerk reaction, we invoked the mutual defense treaty with the United States. The United States would come to assist us. That will mean a head-on confrontation between the United States and China, which could trigger a major conflict. So this is the primary security concern we have to focus on. If China attacks us, that will not be the end of it because we are an ally of the United States. The United States would have to react because it has to show to its other allies that the United States is a credible ally. China would think twice, thrice, if it will use force against the Philippines because it will have to take into account how the United States would react. Sir, because you said this possible armed conflict, which is the worst case scenario, is a concern right now. Is this still possible even with the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, even because of the COVID-19, because of the anger of the Americans, anger of key members of the Trump administration, and they're blaming China. I am also blaming China. (laughs) Where did the virus come from? And they allow Chinese tourists to leave China and spread the virus all over the world. And China has not even taken accountability regarding this. China has not apologized to the world. Instead, it took advantage of the current pandemic, selling masks and inflated price, defective masks, personal protection equipment, and even ventilators. Discussing about the West Philippine Sea seems to branch out to different foreign relations issues that are beyond the dispute between the Philippines and China. But I want to ask, what's the next step after President Duterte's invocation in the UNGA. If he's really serious about what he said in his speech, the first move is to come out with our continental shelf claim in the West Philippine Sea because we haven't submitted our claim. We just submitted our claim in the East Philippine Sea, in the Pacific Ocean, but we have not submitted. Malaysia and Indonesia and I think uh, Vietnam had already submitted. So that will indicate our baseline. And of course our exclusive economic zone, and our continental shelf claim into the West Philippine Sea. We have not yet submitted. That's the first concrete action that the Duterte administration should take. Is it possible during the term of the president that we can meet or have a discussion with China on settling matters regarding the West Philippine Sea? We have been doing it. We have the bilateral consultative committee and nothing is happening. The first thing that the Chinese would say, we have undisputable claim over the South China Sea. And what we will do is, again, reiterate the arbitral ruling. The arbitral tribunal has basically declared that China's nine dash line claim is not legal of the uh, international law uh, within UNCLOS, United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea. So it's a discussion, a discourse among deaths. You mentioned about the ruling being implemented as a policy or law already. So spokesperson Roque said that an arbitral ruling cannot be enforced because it's already given that the countries should follow and respect the decision. Is it correct if the Philippines does not do any enforcement? International law has to be enforced. It will have to be enforced by countries who have interest in that ruling. The first country who has interest in that ruling is, of course, the country that has the most powerful naval capability, and there's no less than the United States. So all neighbor powers have an interest in enforcing the ruling because they don't want to see the South China Sea being transformed into a Chinese lake. Even Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, Malaysia. Now, the ruling states that no, the South China Sea can never be a Chinese lake because China doesn't have any historical nor legal basis. The South China Sea is a common heritage of humanity. 
So it had to be enforced by all countries that have an interest in seeing to it that the South China Sea remains a public good, open to all countries in the world. With spokesperson Roque saying this, as someone representing the palace, is this a wrong interpretation? Yes, it's wrong. It's a justification for inaction, which the Duterte administration is known for when it comes to the West Philippine Sea. The first thing, in fact, I forgot to mention this. The third thing that the Philippines should start doing is try to organize an international coalition of countries who have an interest in enforcing the ruling. Since we won the case, it's only natural and logical that we should lead into that creation of that coalition. We haven't taken any first step. The first country that decided to use the ruling is no less than Indonesia. When Indonesia declared the waters north of the Natuna Island, they said, we don't have any overlapping claim with China. And this is based on the 2016 arbitral ruling. The same with Malaysia, when Malaysia submitted its claim to its continental shelf, I think in December 2019. Last May, in its note verbal, Indonesia again used the ruling to discredit China's claim. No? China is very good in trying to come out with inventions to justify expensive fishing. They call it traditional fishing ground, historic waters. Indonesia said those are never mentioned in the ruling. So the fact that they're not mentioned in the ruling means they're illegal. It's only last July that finally the Philippines acknowledged the ruling. But then, of course, the question is, are we about to enforce it after we have acknowledged it? Do you believe that the president has grown more power or confidence to defend this? I think what's happening is we're becoming more balanced. The notion of what he called really independent foreign policy is only being realized right now in contrast to uh, our foreign policy four years ago, which is supposed to be independent foreign policy, but we're gravitating towards China. Right now, what I see is we're really gravitating into the center, not too much leaning on the states, not too much leaning on China, but somewhere in the middle. That's the real independent foreign policy. Because once you're in the middle, then you can achieve a degree of impartiality. You develop autonomy from the two other powers. That will provide you opportunity for independent foreign policy. But it's not yet the end because you might have the opportunity that the next point is, are you willing to bear the cost of an independent foreign policy? Because a real independent foreign policy means we have to abrogate our alliance with the United States. I don't think that's possible at this point in time. In the end, we can never be an ally of China because we have a territorial dispute with China. China is too close for comfort. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard International Studies Professor Renato Cruz de Castro, a trustee and convener of the National Security and East Asian Affairs Program of the Stratbase ADR Institute, talking with Business World reporter Jillian Cortez. Duterte's dual-track approach to foreign policy won't work with China because China doesn't play that game, said Mr. De Castro. China is an expansionist power, and everything and everyone that gets in its way will be run over. It will never deal with the Philippines in an equitable manner. This episode was recorded remotely on October 14. This is Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>